This is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. I'm David Latimer. This week, we're talking about Instagram's anti-bullying initiative, a platform for writers, and a music craze that transcends language barriers. But first, I want to talk about Instagram, and I want to talk about their new anti-bullying policies and ways to prevent inflammatory language. So it's no secret that social media has sort of become this really toxic place where terrible things can be said and they can sort of live in a place not only of people you know, but also sometimes just through anonymity, which makes it worse than just, you know, spoken bullying and things like that. So what Instagram has decided to do, they've decided to sort of take this head on because they've gotten a lot of criticism for how they've handled these kinds of policies. They've decided, they they announced two new policies that will sort of counteract bullying, or at least that's the intention. So the first one is what they're calling, or they're headlining in their press release, is encouraging positive interactions. So encouraging positive interactions, the idea is... Using AI, which companies have been really rolling out AI now that it's gotten a lot better, they're using it to, if someone posts a comment that is similar to ones that have already been flagged, it will pop up with a message on screen that basically asks the person posting it, are you sure you want to post this? And with a little, they they post an example of what the language will be used, and it says, Keeping Instagram a supportive place. We're asking people to rethink comments that seem similar to others that have been reported. If we made a mistake, let us know. So help us basically improve our AI if we're wrong. So that's one way. They're they're trying to basically get normal people to think about what they're posting when they post it. And the other one is a new feature that they're calling Restrict. So this Restrict feature is basically similar to... On Facebook when you remain friends with someone but you unfollow them or you hide their posts because one of Instagram's biggest issues and and really a lot of issues on social media is unfollowing or blocking has become just because of the way it works it's become like it's sending a message that is sort of built into the etiquette of the internet is that blocking unfollowing unfriending It's an action that the person that has been blocked or unfriended can see. They can tell when that happens. So it's become a a social thing that when that happens, it is sending a message. So what Facebook does is they have an unfollow feature. So you can remain friends with someone and they'll still see that you're friends with them, but you will no longer see their posts. And honestly, I've done that to a few people. Because it does. When you when you unfriend somebody, it sends a message, and if they find out and realize, oh wait, this person unfriended me, they'll start to feel some type of way. And and sometimes it's not even like I've unfollowed a few people on Facebook but remain their friend. And sometimes it's not even it it's not for me in any way a like a bullying thing or like I don't want them to to see my stuff or anything like that. It's I some of the things that I see on Facebook are toxic because they are super inflammatory. They're too political. Like when I go on Facebook and I see like real people and friends, like 
my goal is not to get in a political fight. That's I leave that to the podcast. Like if I want to talk politics, I will do it here and I'll discuss what I've said here in this platform. But I don't really want to see tons of politics when I go elsewhere. And it's not just politics. It's also fake news. So I've unfollowed several people on Facebook that are very persistent and pervasive sharers of fake news. And it's to the point where I've tried the debunking thing and I've tried sharing Snopes articles and things that like debunk them. And then you get back, well, Snopes is funded by XYZ, which is also fake news, but you can't convince people once it's in their head, it's what it is. So it's, it's for my own sanity. It's a health, it's for my own personal mental health. So, so going back to Instagram and their policies, I think it's a great idea what they're doing. I think it's awesome that they're trying to be preemptive. Well, you can't even say that it's preemptive because they're fixing an issue that has already come up and they're they're reacting to it. And this is one of the good things that companies do is when they do this kind of thing, when they on their own try to solve these issues, because what happens is there's been a lot of talk or or, or discussion that maybe the government should get involved and the government should make a policy that companies need to act on these types of things and do these kinds of things to prevent bullying, prevent things like that. But if we've learned anything from the hearings from Google and Facebook in the Senate, it's that politicians don't understand technology. So to have them create laws and create legislation that forces companies to do things that don't make sense because of the technology, it instantly makes it so that way companies have to skirt around it. Whereas when they do it for their own business reasons, when they're taking on bullying and tackling bullying because it's a good business strategy, they do it really to the fullest that they can because it's what is keeping their customers because otherwise their customers will leave and then they will lose money. So it's giving them an incentive to actually do it rather than being forced into it. I think it's awesome that they're doing specifically the restrict feature because like I said, I know that in our culture, the block or unfriend has become something that is meaningful. So it makes it so that they can't really see the comments that are being left. They can't really see what's going on with your profile, but they don't get that message that you've unfriended them. And I think that's great. As for the other one, I don't know. I think a lot of times AI has done definitely done some good things. But I think AI still has a long way to go. And as soon as big companies start adopting it, that's when it's forced to get better. But I know right now AI tends to overcorrect or incorrectly correct. And that's why they have the example that it's if we made a mistake, we can fix it and just let us know. And and not that, you know, not being able to post a comment is, you know, life or death. It's just the idea that AI can sometimes be wrong, so you don't want to restrict people's speech when AI thinks it's one thing and it's really not, because we've seen time and time again, even just regular simple people on places like YouTube end up getting content blocked because the policies are restricting certain things and not others, and you get things that are pretty benign and not harmful at all are getting blocked, whereas you still see, like, real violence and things that are staying up or, or inflammatory remarks are staying up. So I can't wait to see if this actually works well for them. I think it's definitely a good business move and just I would like to see how this helps not just young people but all users of Instagram.
So next what I'd like to talk about is a platform for writers called the Odyssey. So the Odyssey is most notably known for a place for young people, a lot of college students go on there, and they become contributors to this platform called the Odyssey. And it's an open platform, very similar in vain to like a YouTube or something like that, but for writers, where you can get some experience writing and putting out topics and things like that, that you you need a platform to do it and they give it to you. And I think that's a very awesome thing that the Odyssey exists. Don't get me wrong. I think giving people platforms and giving people the ability to speak, especially from a, a a place that's pretty reputable. I know a lot of I've I've seen plenty of people that are on that platform and they write for the Odyssey and I think that's great that they're getting that experience. I think everyone that wants to have this sort of experience should get it. But what I would say to especially the young contributors to the Odyssey is I would suggest that you think outside the box. Because I have seen Many articles that are written by young people, and many of them college students, that are not just lacking substance or not very deep, but they're already previously made observations or things that we all kind of already knew. Like, they're not very deep, they're not very—they're just not new observations. They're acting like it's a completely new idea that they just came up with, yet it's something that everyone has already pretty much decided is reality. So I actually have a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, and these are just titles of articles from the Odyssey that I found. Here's a recent one, 25 Things I Wish I Knew and Realized Before and During High School. I mean, first of all, I'll point out it's a listicle format, which BuzzFeed sort of is the main pioneer of the listicle, and I very much dislike the listicle somebody that went to school for journalism or had a journalism minor listicles are cool because they're quick easy and accessible for people but oh they just destroy real well thought out and well written pieces but the idea that it I, I looked through the article and it's all pretty much very observable things of like You'll miss all the times in high school, and you'll regret when things cost money, and you'll miss people, but you'll have the time of your life, and yeah, we all basically know that now, especially people that have been through at least one semester of college. We we already, we done been known that, (laughs) you know? Here's another one. My first year of college was good, but the friends I met made it even better. No, duh. Like, of course friends made an experience better for you. Duh. Here's another one. You don't have to be born into the family you're meant to be with. Oh my gosh, no duh. Like, people have been saying that since they've had friends. Since you've had companions that you treat like family, that they're that close. The article is basically talking about your close group of friends, fraternities, sororities, clubs, whatever that you're part of, that they've become your quote-unquote family. Yeah, we know that... Family doesn't mean blood. Family is whoever's as close to you. Like, great. That's a super deep article. As a college student, I'm focused on graduating, not finding a boyfriend. Okay, that's fine. That's a perfectly fine point to make, but it's not the first person to have come up with that idea that you're a single woman just enjoying college and you're not looking for a man. And when your family tells you, do you have a boyfriend or they ask if you have a boyfriend, 
you're just not looking. That's fine, but you're not. It's not revolutionary that you're saying that. I'm the college girl who does not like going to parties. Sue me. I'm quirky because I don't like parties. I don't like the college experience or I'm not into the college experience. Like, we get it. We People have said that before. It's nothing original. Here is another one. To college kids bankrolled by their parents, you can't put spoiled on a resume. That's a right-wing talking point. That's the thing that they always talk about that... People are going to college and spending all this money and then they come out with a useless degree and they don't know what to do because they haven't really learned anything real or any real skills that mommy and daddy paid for everything. You didn't learn anything. A lot of people that I've talked to, myself included, they're ending up paying for their college. Their parents aren't. Some I know, absolutely, their parents have bankrolled everything. And I I have a hard time listening and sympathizing with certain people because they're being bankrolled. But that's not a new observation. And the most egregious, I think, is this one here. To the incoming college freshmen, these will be the best years of your life. Ugh. These articles. Guys, if you contribute to the Odyssey, if you're a college student contributing to the Odyssey, I get it. Your world is only so big, and I'm part of this. My, I'm only writing and, and discussing things based on my own experiences. I'm a 23-year-old college graduate who doesn't have a full-time career so I can only basically give my perspective from where I'm coming from I am a straight white male so I have I mean in terms of diversity it's not super diverse here um I don't have a whole lot of place to dig from but what I know is what I know from my own experience But if you're somebody in the Odyssey, if you write for the Odyssey, I encourage you to, before you post, before you write, to really think and consider what experiences have I had or what do I really know and dig deep. Really think about something that you could share that maybe is a really personal experience and and not even like the things of, because I even have personal experiences that a lot of people have gone through and I don't think that they're that revolutionary in terms of my story either. It's my story would sound like a lot of people. I dealt with weight issues. I dealt with bullying. Like those things are not my story is my story and it's unique to me. But how much of that could I explain in an article or in a post that sounds that different from anyone else? You know, that's all I would say is just Try to dig a little deeper because we're all individuals and we all have unique experiences, and I really do believe that, but you wouldn't know it if you read any of the articles in the Odyssey. So lastly, what I wanted to talk about is the emergence of the K-pop music movement in the United States. So K-pop, first of all, K-pop is not a new thing. It's been around for a while. Uh, and it's not really new to the United States either. Um, but first of all, what K-pop is, is Korean pop. So it's pop music that comes from or is inspired by South Korea. It features Korean artists. It features the Korean language. And it's very bright and bubbly music that is very similar to American pop, but I think even amped up a little bit. So in particular... One of the songs that I'm 
that comes to mind right now is from a band called BTS. They're a Korean pop boy band, uh, Boy With Love, featuring Halsey. So the I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at it. First of all, I, I actually find it to be a, a pretty good song. It's very catchy, but it features a lot of Korean in it. And I don't know Korean, yet I feel like I'm totally fine with listening to the song and totally being okay with not knowing the language. And, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's, is it just because the songs are catchy? Is that what it is? That it doesn't really matter what the language is because if I find it to be a fun and entertaining song that I can sort of relate to it and enjoy it regardless of what language is being sung? Is it that maybe it's a lot of times current pop music or or in pretty much all of history, a lot of songs you can't understand the lyrics just based off of how the singer is saying them. So we don't really care if we can't say things exactly. Is it part of a diversifying country? Because this is not the first time that a K-pop song has sort of broken out into the zeitgeist and into the mainstream. I mean, this is one example hitting um, uh, the American Top 40, but it's not, this isn't like BTS's debut song. This isn't their, you know, introduction to America. You had back in, I believe it was 2012, you had Psy, who did Gangnam Style. And that was primarily sung in Korean. There were, obviously, there were some phrases that were in English, so you could sort of get along and sing some of the parts. But it became a huge phenomenon in America. It was a huge thing. And it was accompanied by the Gangnam Style dance. So very similar in a vein to the Cotton Eye Joe or the Electric Slide or something like that, where you have a song that's accompanied by a particular dance. Uh, the Harlem Shake was another one like that. But it didn't really matter because it sort of transcended language barriers. And we all just were sort of listening to it and dancing along, even though most of us couldn't understand the language. And I, just, I think that's really interesting that we're at this place where really it doesn't matter. And... In recent years, you can definitely tell the, I think the 2010s, once the decade is done and we're able to look back on what has happened to music in the decade, I think you'll definitely see that the music of this decade has been influenced by hip-hop, R&B, rap, mostly hip-hop, and that that's part of a diversifying mainstream. The, the mainstream is not defined by the bubblegum pop white artists anymore, but we are mixing genres, we are crossing over. You had Lil Nas X, who became a trap country artist, and we all were on board with it. And I think that's really cool. And and this isn't even the first time that an artist from another country or, or a primarily foreign language artist has broken out in America. I mean, 20 years ago, you had... Shakira with Hips Don't Lie. Now, that was primarily sung in English, but she came from a mostly Spanish-speaking audience, and she felt that she could do the crossover, and she did it well. Now, we can debate another time as to whether we like Shakira's voice, but I think it's very interesting just to see that those artists, even back then, were crossing over and 
and being in the mainstream. And now even today, it's getting even more diverse with foreign language. So, I mean, is this sort of the direction that American music is going to head? I think clearly that's, I mean, it's a question that we can't really answer because we're not going to know. We can't see the future. But just based off of how this decade has gone, I think you're definitely going to see a lot more diversity. You're definitely going to see a lot more uh, foreign language making its way into the American music. And it's sort of a unifying force. I think we don't have to speak the same language and we don't have to even understand why we like something to like it. I think these really bright and fun songs, even if they're spoken in another language, I don't think it really matters. I think if we can all relate on some level to something, if music is that thing that does that, I'm all on board, no matter what language it's in. And that's all for this edition of Millennially Speaking. I'm David Latimer. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share us with your friends. We're also on Instagram at millennially underscore speaking and on YouTube, Millennially Speaking. We'll be back next week.